It's JJ DiGeronimo, and we are in season three of Career Strategies for Women That Work. I select every episode with you in mind, a woman searching and striving for more influence and impact. With research and insight, I've invited some really exciting guests to season three. Many of them have books that you can follow up with and even discuss in your women's groups. And like many of them, I'm launching my next book, Seeking, 74 Key Findings to Raise Your Energy, Sidestep Your Self-Doubts, and Align with Your Life's Work. With so much to discuss, let's jump in. Hello, hello, it's JJ DiGeronimo, and I could not be more thrilled you're here with us again today. Today's guest is Jill Griffin. I'm super excited to have this conversation with her. Not only has she emerged on the corporate world to become an executive coach for some really established professionals, but she's also an invisible disability speaker and advocate. Jill, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to have this chat with you today. Oh, gosh. Well, I think many of the listeners have heard me talk about these things individually, but I really Mm. love the topic. Three disbelief system blocks where you can potentially be blocking yourself from your next career endeavor, whether that is a promotion, a lateral move, maybe something you're doing off the side of your desk. So how did you come up with these three belief systems? Yeah, that's a great question. So When I started embarking on mindset and coaching work, I was very early on in my career. It was in my late 20s. And I started to, I didn't have the words or the language, but I started to realize that this is what I was personally falling into. And then now, you know, I've been a executive coach for 13 or 14 years. And it's the things that I find regardless of gender that tend to pop up the most commonly with people when they're, you know, the, the the competencies there, the credentials are there, the resume is there, but there's something that's blocking them from either elevating to the opportunity that they want, or they're not getting past a particular block in their company, or the you know if they're going for a, a promotion or a new opportunity, and it consistently is, you know, I, I call them the cousins, right? It's imposter syndrome, people pleasing, and perfectionism. And sometimes they really interweave and it's hard to tell the difference between all of them. And I don't know that it matters so much as knowing that there's ways to get yourself and your mindset out of it so that you can be much more effective. Mm. I think everyone can be very familiar with those. They've heard them at one time or another. They've sat in on conference talks about these. Maybe they're listening to a book. But imposter syndrome, people-pleasing, and perfectionism are things I've experienced myself. And many of the women that cross my path too have shared this. Although they don't sometimes, like you mentioned, they don't know the name per se, but they'll say things like, oh, I'm just not ready yet. Or "Mm, I think somebody else could do it better. Or what if Mm -hmm. I can't figure it out? So, you know, we could dive into each of these for sure. But maybe we should start with, you know, the sneaky ways these three belief systems show up in women's lives. Love it. Love it. Okay. So if we tap into imposter syndrome, the idea that, you know, many of us are super achievers, but this doesn't stop us from doubting our skills, right? And I look at belief and doubt as just being high tide and low tide. You're going to fall into doubt. You're going to be in belief. It happens twice a day. There's not a big deal. It's when we take action from when we're in a doubt cycle 
and we're in imposter syndrome that we start to really spiral downward. So finding ways like, are you reluctant to speak up in meetings? Do you procrastinate? Do you over-prepare, like just in case? Or do you under-pursue opportunities because you're like, I don't know, we'll see. I know I've done this where I over-pursue certifications and trainings. I mean, my gosh, if there's a training or a certification, I probably have it or have sat through it, right? Or do you avoid standing out? Are you are you nervous to stand up? Perhaps it's marketing and promoting yourself or, or a recent experience you had on LinkedIn. Do you find yourself holding back? If someone compliments you, do you find yourself saying things like, that wasn't really that hard, not realizing that you're operating in your own zone of genius and to someone else, it is hard, but you're taking it away. You're almost like it's the great leveling. It could also be anxiety every time you face uh, a professional challenge. And the big one that I find that if you're a freelancer or a consultant or you're an independent worker, like a gig economy worker, is you allow scope creep or you don't increase your pricing without understanding the ratio of your deliverable to your pricing. Like you keep your pricing artificially low because standing up and having that, you feel like, oh, how can I charge that much? So those are some of the sneaky ways that I see imposter syndrome pop up. Mm, Those are pretty powerful. And I think everyone listening can at least relate to one, maybe several of those. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the ways that I find people-pleasing popping up. So people-pleasing, think about it. You know, your society, perhaps your primary caretakers, regardless of how progressive an environment you were brought up in, you then go out into society. And society gave you signals directly or indirectly that if you do this, you get reward. And that reward could be anything from, you know, a compliment to potentially cash and prizes, right? Because you're, you're working professionally. But something happened along the way with people-pleasing is that the rules changed, but it wasn't obvious the rules changed. So you stopped getting the award. So the idea that you then start to work a little harder, you find yourself in this cycle, and it really comes down to, I look at it as self-abandonment, because you're constantly putting everyone's needs ahead so that you can get that feedback to know that you're okay. So the way I find that it shows up in a sneaky way is, again, it's your overachieving, sure, but you try to be proactive and anticipate others' needs. So you're kind of trying to read their minds because you want to be able to know what they're going to say so that you know what to then say back. And then you're trying to anticipate their reactions. So you might be overworking for credit. You're trying to solve for all of these impossible variables where you don't want to do too much, but if you do too little, it's not enough. And you want to be strong, but you don't want to be too strong because you know that might be off-putting to people. Or, you know, you want to be outgoing, but you don't want to be too friendly or overbearing because, you know, that's looked upon as not being strong in business, right? So you're constantly in this place where you're trying to sense and receive from the impression you have from people, not necessarily their words because you're guessing. So you're in this constant spin of modulating your behavior, but you're not basing it on other people's actual feedback and words. It's that you're guessing. So you're in this constant spin of like trying to be liked, trying to do it right, trying to be accepted, trying to mitigate uncomfortable feelings. And it's just exhausting. The problem there is that we often fall into burnout and people don't know who we are because we're always changing based on the scenario. Yeah, I can see that. Just you describing it is exhausting. But I, you know, already I've done both 
you know, in different circumstances or mm. situations, I've done both and I've watched people definitely people please where there's just plates spinning all the time. I have a friend that has a business and she's everything to everybody. And she wonders why she can never get her feet underneath her. And I think she's just trying so hard to make everybody so happy that she always does a one-off or all those one-offs are about a hundred one-offs. And so she has no consistency or repeatability. So she's always creating things from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. Which again is totally exhausting. It's totally exhausting. Mm. And then the last one of perfectionism is you you start to live in the extremes, right? You're constantly in your head carrying a scorecard where you're either winning or failing at all times based on what you're doing. And it shows up as either not achieving your goals because, well, if what you're doing or what your output is isn't perfect, you feel like you can't complete the goal. So that you're always in this, again, it's in a cycle where you're looking for validation from others to say like this work is good. And you know what? The work probably is good. And once in a while, the work's not going to be good. And we're feeling so uncomfortable with our own performance there and our own idea that we might have failed. And I mean, I've probably failed 20 times today and it's only this afternoon, right? Like that's just part of life. But we, we make failure into something much bigger than what it is versus an opportunity to just, all right, what worked here? What didn't work? What would I do differently next time? All right, this doesn't feel great but I can move on, right? That's really where the perfectionism starts to really take over because you're, again, you're afraid of looking bad or incompetent. So you start to then approach all of your work with a level of fear or apprehension. And then you're in this cycle where your self-worth is now rising and falling based on what you think other people think about you, right? Because I'm not who I think I am. I'm who I think you think I am. And I'm even more exhausted now, right? So again, that's that perfectionism that comes up in really sneaky ways where I find that perfectionism especially ties so much into dopamine, right? We made the achievement, but we haven't absorbed it. We haven't let ourselves celebrate it. We haven't sunk in like, wow, I did that. Okay, that was cool. And whether that's a celebration of a moment of self-honoring or whether you want to go out and have champagne, like whatever works for you, having that level of celebration so that your brain starts to catch up because otherwise you're always in that dopamine cycle where you're chasing the reward, but you don't realize that you got the reward. So you're trying to go, okay, well, I guess I, it wasn't good enough. Or it wasn't perfect enough. So I need the next reward and the next reward. And then again, you're on this cycle of the ways that I find that perfectionism really does a doozy on our overall psyche. Mm. Yeah. And the way that you explain it, it seems like people pleasing and perfectionism are, are more similar than, than they're not. Yeah. I find them like to be sort of like cousins of each other because we're trying to please others because we think we need to bend ourselves to be accepted by others. Whereas perfectionism is more about, is my work okay? Am I okay? Hey, did I do okay? Right? So one I feel like is a little bit more about getting validation and the other one is more about getting that love. They obviously still connect in the root, but they show up in different ways. And that's why I find it so important for you to understand the nuances. So in order for you to change any behavior that's not serving you is you have to really kind of understand what the behavior is that you're trying to change. Hmm. Okay, so people-pleasing is, can I get the love? Perfectionism is, am I okay? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's then, the way I see it. Yeah. Yeah. And then imposter syndrome is, 
am I enough? Correct. Hmm. I just want to sit with that for a minute because, <laughs> you know, my, as I talk about so often, uh, we need more women and more tables in every aspect of life. And I feel like these three doozies, imposter syndrome, people pleasing, and perfectionism is really the weight that holds us where we are today. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Because again, if we're having thoughts that are running around in our heads, that are not serving us, right? And everything we do in life is because of a feeling we want to have or a feeling we want to avoid. And the connection between thoughts and feelings, right? Thoughts create your feelings. So if we're always operating from this place of, hey, am I okay? Or how can I get some love and how can I get some appreciation? And am I enough? Then those thoughts, I'm just going to say, are falling into a bucket of negativity And then I'm taking actions from that negativity. I'm taking actions from that lack and that scarcity versus, you know what? I'm pretty amazing. Look what I've accomplished. I don't always succeed in everything, but that's okay. I'm human. Humans are messy and I'm going to try it again. When I'm in that place, I'm in a more neutral place or a place of buoyancy. And then I can also go create my results from that place of feeling. I mean, I find that one of the biggest ways and the antidote to all three of these mindsets is really finding the feelings that are the ones you want to keep because those are the ones you're going to take action from and finding what I call feelings as fuel. Mm. So for me, it's often tapping into a memory or a, a victory, whether it's a personal professional victory or, or a great victory that I had with a, you know, a bunch of teammates and feeling really proud of like that teamwork, tapping into that feeling for a moment, remembering that pride, that determination, that focus, that joy, that inspiration. And then I go create. Then I go create the next thing. It's just as easy to do that as it is to be in a place of lack and fear and anxiety and stress and go create. So yeah, constantly checking yourself. You know, Joe, we speak the same language because I'm just looking at my appendix from seeking and 38 is the fears that fuel our self-doubt and 45 or 46 is your fuel stations. And I think that we speak a lot of the same language because without knowing the fears that are fueling these, you know, or the energy that's really filling you up. It's hard to move through life. And maybe this is why you see and you talk often about of going from good to bad so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of my mentors has an expression where she says that an unwatched mind is like a toddler with a knife. Mm. And I love that idea because this work is me helping you take the knife away right? Where <laughs> you're, you're not realizing that those slow and insidious little thoughts that you're having all the time that you're taking a swing at yourself, you're taking a swing at yourself and what it does to your disposition. And then that's how you show up at work or that's how you show up within your professional environment or all aspects of your life. But of course, we're talking about professional um, people at this point. It's You just don't understand that you're doing that. So what I started to do is really just keep a notebook or a notes app nearby. And I started to notice throughout the day the thoughts that were not serving me, but I didn't realize at a time I would just make a list of my thoughts and then think about, well, if I'm thinking, you know, this this is never going to work out. This is never going to happen. How is, you know, I'm never going to get a chance. I'm not going to get promoted. If I'm thinking any of those things, they're all creating negative thoughts in my body where I could just as easily be in the place of, you know what, this is happening or I can figure this out. Or, you know, one of my favorite is 
is thinking like, I'm practicing being the woman that feels more confident. So what is she doing? What is she thinking? What is she saying? And it's that constant mind management that I feel for myself, while it definitely was work in the beginning, now it doesn't matter where I am. I can be in the car. I can be working out. I can be, you know, prepping dinner, anything I'm doing, I'm able to quickly tap in and be like, wait, what am I thinking right now? This isn't serving me. I'm not going to do this to myself today. Yeah. You know, I had to take mindfulness classes several times in 2016 to even understand that that was a possibility, to Mm. even recognize that your thoughts are nonstop, whether you're paying attention or not. Yeah. 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 And they're not true, right? They feel true. And this is that 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 adage, like the difference between true and truth. They feel so true for you, but they're not the truth. Mm, I do. I agree with you. And you know, people will say, "Oh, I'm meditating. I'm meditating." And I'll say, "Well, have you trained on mindfulness from John Kabat-Zinn?" And many will say, "Well, no, mm. I just do meditation." Well, I I know personally, I could never do meditation had I not learned how to be mindful because. Many times when I did meditation before, I was building lists of things I had to do. I was reviewing what didn't work out. But I didn't realize that you can recognize a thought, but you don't have to hold on to it. Yes. Yes. And for me, I feel like meditation without practicing mindfulness or getting understanding of mindfulness is like cleaning out your closet from inside the closet. Mm -hmm. You you can do it. It's going to be really hard. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be really hard and you might never get out of that closet, I feel like. But one of my um, editors was telling me, you know, every emotion, every feeling, you know, you when you have those emotions and feelings, it takes 15 minutes for it to basically go through your entire body. And in those Ugh. 15 seconds, not holding on or creating a story about that emotion. Yes, yes, because that is also the understanding of it's just neurochemicals floating through your body, right? Like this is evolutionary biology. What used to be running from fire or, you know, saber-toothed tiger to be run from those, I don't know, um, is now a stressful email from a client or an unkind word from a colleague. So it's still creating that same level of fear response. And then all that's happening is neural chemicals are floating into your body, into your bloodstream. And when we learn that it, I mean, it sucks. I'm not saying it's fun. It sucks. But when we learn that in 90 seconds, it can start to dissipate and there may be another wave right behind it, but really sitting with that feeling for a couple of seconds, again, you need to make sure you're safe. You need to make sure you're not driving. Maybe we're not doing this in the conference room or in a big presentation, right? Or maybe we're doing it with an, a mentor, an ally, a coach, a therapist, right? However, it feels safe for you. But processing that emotion and getting to the other side, that's what creates self-confidence. Because for me, self-confidence is knowing that I can experience any emotion and I may not like them all, but I can get through the emotion and get to the other side. So now I know that, yeah, fear stinks. I don't want to be in fear, but I can get through that fear, get to a place of more neutrality, maybe a little bit of fear, but not as intense, and I can still take action. Now I start to feel unstoppable because it's like, oh, I'm just going to feel an emotion. I love that. And I've had to do a lot of self-work around this because a lot of my emotions, my fears, my self-doubts, even my imposter syndrome and people-pleasing and probably feel my perfectionism is things that happened to me before the age of 18. And those stories I carried with me and those 
things that happened in my life triggered me. And so I've had to do a lot of energy work to go back and dig into those stories so that I don't allow them to trigger me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. And I think, you know, as you and I were chatting about your book, Seeking, which I'm so excited about, just the idea of doing that energy work again, whether you do it self-guided or whether you do it with a practitioner, really finding ways to release that because it really is fight or flight, right? I could, again, have an exchange professionally that I'm not thrilled with. And that, if I don't let that process in my body, it's it's the zebra shaking off after being, you know, out running the lion kind of thing. You have to process. And that's where I find for myself, energy work has been so important because I can work on my thoughts, but I also need to release those, you know, release the experience from my body too. I love it. I love it, Jill. I love the work that you're doing with so many professionals in these really sort of intense environments. Things are moving fast. A lot of places are overstaffed. People are promoted before they're really ready. And, you know, women don't get as much playtime or alliances or even professional access that they need to make their goals a reality. And I know your clientele is men and women, but I, of course, always am trying to get more women at more tables. And I think it's important to recognize male or female that we all struggle with these things. If you think you're the only one in the room, you are not. Let us assure you that we've both been there, but that you have to bust through these things. And so, Jill, what does it look like to bust through? And just really thinking about maybe somebody that has done that, that has worked with you as an executive coach, and what does that really look like for them? Yeah, it's it's a great question. So when it comes to imposter syndrome, I find that really simply taking your victory lap And this is, again, open your notes app, get pen and paper. If you need to write down your recent accomplishments so that you remember that you are at that safe table and you have the credentials and the competency and the strategy and all the things to be there and really remembering that. And you may have to go to previous evidence to remember you did it before and you can do it again. So that's what I find is really effective. Again, I'm simplifying it. This is definitely the work that I do with clients, but as as a recap, as to work through imposter syndrome, that's it. And when it comes to people pleasing, I think you also have to separate story from fact. Like recently, I was talking with a client where she was sh- sharing that the leader in their department wasn't really clear with direction. So she said that she was going to volunteer to be the interpreter of what the leader wanted and then, you know, parlay that information to the colleagues. And I said, you know, why? Like, why are you volunteering to be the translator for the team? What is the benefit here? There's no cash and prizes. You're not going to be promoted. You're all peers. So how does doing this future your goals? Because you want to also be thinking about if you're taking an action, what problem does it solve? But what problems does it create? In this case, you're taking away the agency of your fellow colleagues who also have to stand up for themselves and get clarity from a leader, right? So you really just want to be thinking through separating story from fact and getting clear and what is the result I want to create by taking this action? How do I get to a place that it works for me first so that I'm not like a heat-seeking missile of resentment when I take the action? Because that's also what happens a lot within people policing is that a lot of passive aggressiveness behavior can start to come out because we're constantly doing things and not being appreciated. So Again, separating story from fact and then deciding for yourself what is the result you want to create. And then from there, you just kind of work backwards. So if I'm going to create that result, what actions do I need to take? Okay, got it. 
if I'm going to create those actions, how do I need to be feeling? All right, got it, right? So you're really thinking that through. And then from a perfectionism standpoint, it's also a similar thing. It's, it's really separating story from fact, but it's also making sure that you really think about that your value is not conditional. What I find a lot of times with perfectionism is that you think that if you're feeling or acting busy, it means that you're in contribution and therefore you have more worth. But in actuality, that doesn't necessarily mean it's true, right? And a perfect example is what I used to experience a lot. In my corporate world, I was a strategist. So as a strategist, I could work all day, but there wasn't actually physical or visible output that I could show you, right? Because I'm digging through research. I'm preparing surveys. There isn't an end report or an end result. So someone could say, what did you do today? But I don't have a proof of it. We have to let that go. We have to really think about what is it that we're being charged to do and how, you know, whether you're thinking about goals specifically and what what are the tactics that you're taking and really separating Again, that story from fact, but making a plan and checking your thoughts. Again, perfectionism and people-pleasing are very, very similar. They just come from a slightly different route. And as you you know, nailed it, right? It's that people-pleasing is like, can I get love and appreciation? Whereas perfectionism is, am I okay? It's making sure that you're giving it to yourself first before you're getting it from others. And by that, meaning the giving yourself good thoughts and thinking that through first before looking for it outside yourself. Jill, I could talk to you all day. I really <laughs> We have just touched on a thread of things that I think can really break the doors open for people on, gosh, why can't I move forward? Or why am I still in this position? Or why can't I get the recognition I need? Or why do I feel so alone? And I just love this conversation. So I know listeners are going to want to reach out to you. How can they find you? Yeah, great question. You can find me at jillgriffincoaching.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn. I'm Jill D. Griffin. I also have a podcast where I talk about a lot of these, these mindset, you know, the mindset refresh that we need. It's called the career refresh and I'm on all streaming platforms. Awesome. Well, I'm going to follow you. I've already started listening to your podcast and I can't wait to continue. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And to find Jill and others, you can always go onto our show notes at JJD Geronimo under podcasts. Or you can find us online. So thank you for listening. We'll see you here again. 